Welcome to Storytelling Breakdown. I'm Ben Clemmer. And I'm Caleb Meyer. So you have to establish what the rules are before you can break them. And early on in this podcast, Ben and I wanted to avoid becoming a reaction show, just responding to the latest thing for clicks and piggybacking off of the popular conversation at any given moment. We broke away from that a little bit with the episode on the Snyder Cut. And we're about to break away from it big time with this one. Depending on when you're listening to this, Bo Burnham's Inside, his new Netflix special, might not even be a month old. We've kind of danced around how the pandemic has affected us both during our show so far. Going back to our first episode that we originally intended to drop in April 2020, it ended up being delayed by five months. We've recorded in separate buildings and in the same room, divided by glass. It's been a struggle to tap into creative reservoirs for a variety of reasons, and often changing ones. We're tackling this now because Bo Burnham's special spoke to both of us on so many levels. It was cathartic. And this episode might lean more into the breakdown half of our name. This is Bo Burnham Breakdown. it's worth noting how Caleb and I have kind of changed the format of this podcast as it's evolved in the last dozen or so episodes. And that is the fact that we used to be fairly scripted and almost throughout, like going through following an outline in some portions, but having a lot of things written out prior. We had an intro written out for this episode, and now we're basically following a pirate map that was never laminated. Yeah, exactly. Our first episode, I remember recording it. Like, it turned out well, and I'm really happy with it, but the process of it, there were a lot of times where we're like, okay, no, I'm like, I'm reading this line wrong or doing whatever this section of it wrong. This feels a lot more natural. Just having a conversation about something that yes. we watched. And we're also coming into this relatively fresh. I'm also recalling the episode we did on Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse with Autumn, where we watched the movie uh, together, all three of us. And then went to a studio space to record, and you and I uh, are doing much the same, only we are a little bit in closer confines between where we watched the special and are now recording uh, in my home office. In terms of where to start, because this, I guess I'll ask this and then in typical podcast fashion also answer the question myself. When did it pop up on your radar in terms of this episode existing? When Who did you first see it from or when? Uh literally like less than a week ago like last saturday i just had an afternoon and i was like uh i'm gonna watch something on netflix and i opened up netflix and i'm like oh my god bo burnham has a new special yes i need to watch it now i'm so excited and then i watched it and then it blew my mind and then i watched it 
three more times for a total of four times in less than a week. There we go. And this marks my second time in less than a week because, again, the special is very new. And it started popping up for me in different parts of my social media orbit. So it's like, oh, this person from college liked it. It's like, oh, this person that I met through work. It was hitting different age groups, different interests. Different, it, was, it, was just, it was crossing boundaries with significant appeal. And at that point, it's like, okay, I am casually aware of Bo Burnham. It's time to check this thing out. And holy hell. I think also just as a good example for how much both of us loved this special and how much it resonated with us. On average, it takes us like a month and a half to produce an episode. We'll like have an idea, have a couple meetings, talk about it, work out like a rough script or outline, do some research on it, and then do it. This process of like, oh, we like this, we we should do a podcast episode on it, to doing the episode has been like six days. As we were doing our watch through, part of me kind of thought of not riff tracks, but like definitely audio commentary. And the fact that you and I are probably going to go through this thing. It's an album too, track by track. Yeah. And talk about the different songs, the different beats, the different moments, motifs, vibes, just everything that we can unpack as it comes to us. And doing that song by song might be the most organized way to do it. So for those of you listening who haven't watched the special yet, first you should pause this episode go watch the special, and then come back and rejoin us. The difference between this and a normal comedy special, which is filmed in a theater in front of a live audience, is he filmed the entire thing by himself in his house over the course of isolation during the pandemic. And the title is Bo Burnham Inside. He spends the duration in a small guest house type thing behind his actual house uh, that has a big open space a kitchenette kind of at one side of it and you see it in so many different configurations and lined up in so many different ways because it becomes apparent he's sleeping there some of the time i i imagine probably not for the entire duration of making the thing but locked in there doing his creative process there's varying amounts of music and camera equipment scattered throughout the rooms uh, as he goes from track to track and he recorded it during the pandemic he recorded he started the project once it became apparent yeah we're all trapped inside and we're not going anywhere and it took him over a year to make and you see as the time elapses things become a little bit more of a struggle it's very real and i think that's part of why it hit home for both of us because we've had our own struggles during the pandemic and it speaks to probably a lot of the different feelings that we have felt and that you have felt if you're still here and haven't watched it yet, do that. And we're about to dive in and go through this thing. The way I've described it to people I've shown it to or talked to it about is it's one third a comedy special and like two thirds an art piece. I think that works. It's so much. Well, because it's one of those things where if you're watching any kind of a movie or a show or a special of, of any kind, you're going to have a variety of creative visions involved, even if there's one driving one and you're going to have a lot of moving parts and pieces. And it's very rare that you get something that is one person doing everything. Although a musician might be uniquely suited to do that because you'll have people who play all the parts. Like I think the most recent, like Paul McCartney album, he played all the instruments 
Bo Burnham gives us that wonderful blend of music and comedy that you occasionally only get with somebody like a Weird Al Yankovic. But Bo is very much his own creator, his own storyteller. There's so many different angles that he kind of comes at this. Well, and he also has the directing chops to be able to make something like this because he directed Eighth Grade, which just came out a few years ago. Friends of mine who are big Bo Burnham fans were super excited when it's like, oh, he directed a movie, like he's doing stuff again. And now he comes along with this and you can definitely see that, okay, yes, he understands the technical knowledge and know-how to be able to create the visual set pieces that he does. The opening song is called Content. It's an intro song. Like he is like, hey, I'm back. I made new stuff for you guys to like enjoy. And just sort of talks a little bit about the process of working on this during the pandemic and the monotony of that. And like, eh, I've been a little depressed, but hey, I made new stuff now. Right out of the gate, a quick synth part. The first couple tracks are both very high energy and have that already referenced him for the sake of difference. But content does feel very similar to a Weird Al track, like especially where... He has that line, if you had told me I'd be locked in my home, I would have said, that's interesting, now leave me alone. Yes. Which gets more context as you continue on through the piece. It also, like, it it brings you in to the lighting and video techniques he's going to use, because the song starts out, it's very dark, he's got this, like, weird thing on his head, and then there's, like, a disco ball spinning above, and you're like, what is this? And then he turns his headlamp on and shines the light up into the disco ball, and suddenly the room lights up with all these sparkles going everywhere. And then at the end of the song, he brings his head back down. And when the beam hits the camera, he uses that to transition out into the next shot. It's so smooth. I love it. Well, there are so many examples in Inside where you see the perfect blend of comedian's wit with musician's timing. Because when he sings the lyric content, says the title of the song for the first time, that's when the light hits the disco ball. And you have that moment where you're drawn in He's sung about, look a little bit rough because a haircut got rescheduled. Again, the experience of being inside, being stuck in quarantine early on that I think a lot of us were trying to unpack. So in terms of the time lapse, clearly filmed towards the early parts of the process of making the special. Yeah, and we get to see that because right after that song, we get some of the behind the scenes footage that he puts throughout the special of him testing the camera and setting up lights and just figuring everything out and you get to see you know his facial hair get longer and longer and just how much that ages him over the whole process of this oh it ages him like 10 years yeah absolutely this whole special is in some ways almost cripplingly self-aware yes very much so and the next track is comedy uh which bo burnham is very much known for and unpacks the idea that really is now the time to come up with a comedy special like the fact that what on earth is there to actually be funny about during the pandemic he's asking that question where he's like oh like should i joke at a time like this is comedy dead and then he turns and this bright light comes up in an angelic chorus is like no you can heal the world with your comedy and he's like it's almost like he's becoming a god of comedy it's great from a white guy like me. Yes. And goes through and talks about how white men have had power for over 400 years. Maybe we should just shut up. Everything stops. Him singing, the backtrack, 
okay, I'm bored, and then he keeps going. Keeps going through it, yep. And all the the visual gags he puts in there. He has a whiteboard that he's, like, using to take notes or whatever. My favorite one is the Venn diagram, where it's Malcolm X on one side, Weird Al on the other side, and then me. I am the intersection of these two individuals. There are so many issues that we are encountering as a society that the pandemic has made abundantly clear. And you also have the fact that I think for a lot of people in their 20s, in their 30s, we're looking out at a lot of the problems and it's so easy to just say, yeah, this isn't working. I'm just kind of done with it. And also feeling like, okay, well, what can I do to try to fix this? But then either one, not wanting to really make real sacrifices, the effort isn't particularly genuine and comedy gets at that, or (laughs) taking yourself way too seriously and not being able to see who's more impacted by some of the problems we're facing than you are and really put yourself in someone else's shoes. But that's kind of getting ahead. Uh, Those still songs that are definitely in the first half of the special before we get to the intermission. Well, and that's what's great about this song in particular and like a bunch of the songs he has in the special. It's so, like you said, self-aware and ton-in-cheek. He's like seriously joking about this absurd topic of like, oh yeah, I, I am this white guy, but it's it's up to me to save everybody. One thing that this track makes abundantly clear, and this is just, again, really good composition and really good writing, uh, especially with how much these first tracks feel like pop songs, you don't come back to the exact same motifs. Like, there will be repeats of parts and different lyrics, but no two choruses sound the same. There's never a, okay, we're back where we were a moment ago. It is just constantly moving the kinetic energy on his tracks. It's very frenetic. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's coming at you full blast. And then you do start to settle in a little bit because it's still a comedy special and there are going to be moments where he's talking to the camera. Well, I love the end of comedy where it transitions into those, like, laser lights behind him. And then, yeah, it just hard cuts and it's just his blinds. Just like a very static, simple shot that, like, sucks all the energy out of the the high energy song you just had but by that point he's pulled you in and he tells you about the fact that he's been making the special for a couple of months doing lighting tests doing some writing obviously probably putting together the songs that are going to make up the piece that we're about to experience and then he the joke right at the end of that you point out just to what extent even though it's kind of tongue-in-cheek yeah this is just me and my house, so there's going to be some things that aren't quite what they should be, but then it winds up being dead on perfect. Yeah, he says this special is going to be all over the place, so the transitions will be a little... And then it just cuts off, and the joke being, oh, these transitions aren't going to be intentional and planned, but he just did a very intentional joke by cutting off his own explanation of that with a very harsh cut. Every single aspect... And I say aspect because we're about to have a conversation about aspect ratio. (laughs) Every aspect of a piece can help you to tell the story, whether that is you as a person, as a performer doing a part, whether that is the lighting that illuminates or doesn't show different things in the space uh, around you. You also have, in the case of Bo Burnham, amazing music and sound design and just different elements where you are actively engaged in a song or it's just the noise of the space, the noise of the room. I mean, when this thing wants to feel quiet, it's 
dead silent for a few moments until the next thing comes up and happens. And when it wants you to feel uncomfortable, it makes you feel uncomfortable. It does. And it also puts you into a space that you've probably been in, given that in so many ways, this special is focused on the experience of the pandemic and for many of us living through it on the internet and having those habits changed or expanded, having times where perhaps we're separated from family, which then sets up FaceTiming with my mom tonight. I think basically the entire song is shot so it looks like it's on a yeah, smartphone screen. It's, it's the aspect ratio changes to like a vertical video, like if you're on your cell phone FaceTiming someone. And you get some very honest humor where he has like a two sentence conversation where it's like, oh, oh, say hello to your dad. Hey, dad. Or hey, how are you doing? How's it going? It's like, and that's the deepest talk we've ever had. Yep. And then by the end of it, he's kind of starting to come slightly unhinged. Like it's still, he's still singing, but it's not like it's matching up with yeah, what's that... going on with the conversation. And he's kind of like yelling and trying to say like, no, but pull your thumb off the screen or no, you don't have to be six inches from the camera. Just the over-exaggeration of him screaming at his phone. So after that, there's like a sequence of him behind the scenes again, just working on his laptop. A plane flies overhead, which anyone who's ever tried to record anything knows how annoying outside noise can be. But then there's this one second flash of an image in the right hand corner, which turns out to be a call ahead to a bit that he does 40 minutes later in the special. And you and I both connected it to things because with the flash and frame of someone we're going to see later, you connected to Fight Club. Yeah, in Fight Club, one of the main characters, before he shows up in the film, just flashes on the screen subliminally a few times before he actually appears, which hints towards the true ending of that film. As we discussed it a little more, I really thought back to... Which, if you have followed our podcast to this point and have listened to all of the episodes, you'll recall our fifth episode, Denny O'Neill, Legend of the Dark Knight, uh, had a spotlight from our friend Kurt Remke, who you hear every single episode because he uh, did the amazing theme music for Storytelling Breakdown. Mm -hmm. And his spotlight for episode five was on the video game Inside. And I didn't know anything about it when he first said, hey, I want to do my spotlight on this. And I watched a playthrough. I am not a huge gamer, but it was still incredibly cool to see just the design of the game and the idea that you often know that your goal is just to keep going right, keep solving problems, keep avoiding bad guys, keep doing what you need to do to just keep going right. And as you're doing that in the game inside, spoiler alert, if you do want to go play it and experience it for yourself, you are progressively leading this kid that's the main character of the game that you really don't know anything about in into danger. And uh, the end result is not particularly pleasant, but then the game resets and it sticks you close to the beginning of the game where you have an opportunity to discover a new area that was previously unavailable. And the kid goes down into this chamber and disconnects some sort of electronics. That's been a big game mechanic throughout, although you didn't really know why you were doing it initially. And when the disconnection happens, you see another figure in the background who's looking at all these screens that also gets disconnected. And the premise being the kid is able to save themselves from the gamer. The person who's in that lower right-hand corner is a streamer character that Bo Burnham plays very well later on in the special. I think maybe even in the second half, if I remember Yeah, it's like right. 40 minutes later. Yeah. So you set up and see that character, and it's almost like this shot that we're seeing of Bo just doing his thing, trying to create, being frustrated by the fact that there's a plane flying overhead, is the moment where 
he's in the game that's being played by the streamer and then later on we see the streamer playing the game and the game is Bo Burnham inside. And I like how in the video game inside you're, you know, you're leading this kid into danger but you're unaware of it and at this point this early on in the special when he was making it maybe Bo Burnham didn't realize, you know, the devolving series of mental health that this special was going to take him through. After that, we go into how the world works, which is a very, it starts out a very upbeat. You pointed out he's wearing like a striped shirt, almost like Steve from Blue's Clues-esque, and just talking about, oh, you know, the plants and the animals and everything works together to make the world function. And then he brings out his little friend, Sako, which is a little sock puppet. And Sako starts telling his version of how the world works, which is much different. Dark, very real, riddled with some conspiracy theories, and gradually making Bo's kind of character in that moment in that skit very uncomfortable. And then their dynamic just turns. Yeah, it gets very dark, and especially in the context of 2020, very uncomfortable and something a lot of people can relate to of this authority figure just domineering over this person this life that they have power over because as Sako says oh you know when you don't wear me I'm just in this frightening liminal space between existence and non-existence so I have to be on your hand in order to be you know alive and have consciousness between being dead and being alive this constant state of sleep paralysis yes. yeah no it, it's in terms of contrast I don't think there's a stronger one than the vibe that he sets of how the world works with children's TV show and then the content involved is just, whew, it, yeah. It, yeah, the it, FBI it, killed Martin Luther King. Uh, the whole system runs to keep pedophiles in power and such. And as soon as he starts making it clear, hey, you're not doing enough to see past your own worldview. Kind of, again, going back to what he was hitting on with comedy, the fact that I'm not really going to put in any real effort to yeah. improve in the situation. Again, kind of self-awareness, calling himself out for it. And then getting into an argument with the sock that ends with him just pulling it off his hand. And if this feels like we're just kind of going track by track without diving too deep into things, uh, Caleb and I realized very early on, there's some tracks that have not an abundance of subtext. And then there's others that have quite a bit. Next, he goes into the, the social brand consultant bit. That feels the most traditionally Bo Burnham out of almost everything. Super ton-in-cheek, old-school Bo Burnham, where he's like, oh yeah, I am just going to call out this thing by saying exactly what they say and just tweaking it by like two or three words at the very end. Help wheat thins in the fight against Lyme disease. J.P. Morgan is against racism, in theory. Yeah, you know, it's time for a brand to get up, roll up their sleeves, and get to work. And sell Butterfingers. It's one of the few non-musical bits in the show, which does a good job of breaking up. I feel like if the entire thing was just, oh, going from song to song to song, it'd get a little tiring after a while. It would feel like a concert video. Yeah, yeah. so these little comedy bits really help to like break things up. And also, we can't really overstate how much, as each different vibe, each different moment comes on, for the same performer in the same space every single time, it feels like a different world, track to track to track. Oh, he does an amazing job of utilizing the space he's in with just different camera angles or movements and just the lighting. For this segment, he like has a little black backdrop, and it I mean, it's shot like one of those 
corporate, you know, we're one of the good guy videos. I love how he changes the logo for the special inside into that, like, box with the text inside it. It's very, like, clean-cut corporate look. How can you use your brand awareness to affect positive change? Which, in turn, raises more brand awareness. Yeah. And he has, like, the look of, like, one of the, like, a Silicon Valley, like, guru type. He's got, like, the khaki pants and his hair's done back in, like, a man bun. Just the, the whole thing, like, works really well. And while we're talking about Bo just doing a good job of playing characters, the next song that he goes into <laughs> might be one of the ones that's gone the most viral, mainly because it's making fun of social media in a specific way that hits the mark perfectly. And he does that throughout, but this one is just amazing. The whole song is just a list of, of things that are on a white woman's Instagram, like, oh, a picture of an avocado or like, a tiny pumpkin or latte foam art, just things like that. But then the visual is him actually doing the like poses of whatever picture it would be. And they're, they're fantastic. They're so mint. Everything from, again, adjusting the aspect ratio so it looks like an Instagram feed. And then also going through and having those, because you'll have like, obviously you can like click and then, or swipe and it's like, oh, okay, we see a whole bunch of photos in a series and you see different poses and he's in video, but it'll have those moments where as a shot is moving, you'll see, oh, there's the first picture. And then he moves and it's like, there's another clear shot where it's like, oh, that's another picture in the mm-hmm. same series. It does feel like scrolling through your Instagram feed or a white woman's Instagram feed. Mm-hmm. It's been funny for me because I'll see on social media like tiktok or something like that people responding to it with man why bo burnham have to call me out like that and they'll show the like fake pictures that he did for the video with theirs side by side to it and they're like spot on throughout the entire song it's in that instagram post ratio but there's one moment where it widens back to the full frame and in that moment he's talking about a woman who put a post about her dead mother and she's like talking to her dead mom and parts of that segment those lines get pretty like real and emotional where he's like oh i miss you like i miss the moments that we used to spend together and the way i interpret it is that's something that's real and not superficial which is why the aspect ratio widens up and it's like oh this is someone letting you into their life and you can see a real human moment but then they start talking about oh i have this great boyfriend and i have this great apartment and like a job that i love and it goes back to that very superficial like i'm just posting this so people can see how great my life is or whatever and that's when the aspect ratio shrinks back down to that instagram post little things like that are are really clever that he does after that song finishes, and that song's, I think we can agree, probably the, like, silliest one, but afterwards we see a shot of him, like, intently, like, super laser-focused, staring at his laptop, watching the video, or the feed of what he had shot, and I love that, because it shows, even for the bits of the special that are more just-whatever fluff, he still spent so much time making it perfect and was so invested in just making this the best he could make it. And again, we go from music to, at a certain point, saying comedy doesn't feel like the right word, but kind of observations on society. Yeah, he puts like a fake stand-up comedy segment. So it's he's got the stool and like the spotlight. The whole vibe of that segment is supposed to be, oh, I'm like in a comedy club or whatever. He asked a question that I wrote down in my notes to make sure that I had it right when we talked about it. That's just, is it necessary that every single person on this planet 
expresses every single thought that they have on every single thing that occurs all at the same time. Also known as, can anyone shut the f*** up? <laughs> there are a lot of issues that come from social media, and they just got expanded significantly by the circumstances of the pandemic. We're inside. We have access to the internet. What else are people doing? It's going to take your bad habits and ramp them up to the nth degree. And this section of the special starts to dive heavily into that. Because yes. we kind of started out with the movement or the moment of self-awareness. Can comedy really work right now? This is what I think, or this is what I'm feeling, or this is what I'm doing. And yes, I'm aware that there's going to be problems and all this fun stuff. Then I guess, well, I guess white women's Instagram would really be the transition into now we're talking yeah, about this, social this media. This whole sequence kind of brings in a big theme of the special, which is the internet and our relationship to the internet and how that works. And is it necessarily the best thing? And the fact that we do have the ability to comment on anything and everything to always be plugged in to always be engaged in some sort of dialogue across different social media platforms which is funny because the very next segment after that he does this short little jazz song about unpaid interns and then it goes into a bit where he's parodying a reaction video that you can find all over the place on youtube the same thing like we just we have to comment about everything and no one can shut up at any point so the song plays and he reacts to it and then the camera doesn't stop rolling. And so his reacting to unpaid intern starts playing and then he's reacting to himself. And it cycles, I think, like four times. It's like one of those images that has the image inside it and it just keeps going deeper and deeper. He's like, oh, okay, well, this is me reacting to the song. So I'll just react to me reacting to the song. And then that plays out. And then he's like, oh, okay, I'm going to react to me reacting to reacting to the song. And it just keeps going. And at that point, the whole bit doing the mental math so unpaid intern having just looked at spotify also the album dropped on spotify i think the day that we're recording this so it was crazy to see like this morning oh bo burnham's new album and each track only has like four figures like thousands two thousand four thousand whatever of plays and then checking on it later today and now it's up six figures hundreds of thousands of, of streams on spotify and the track is only 34 seconds long so that would mean at the end of 108, he's hit his end of his first react. And then at the 216 mark, the whole thing's played out. Because we've done original video, react once, react a second time, and then a third time until he's finally just so uncomfortable. He's like, okay, I just need this to stop. I need this to stop. Turns it off. Again, Bo made a joke about the fact that the transitions aren't going to be super smooth, but everything to this point has felt somewhat curated as you're experiencing it it's like okay we go from this song to this moment everything's flowing well and there's still clear beginnings and endings this is the first bit that really kind of feels like it unraveled a little bit or kind of came off of the rails and that trend continues because we start to see the psychological wear and tear of the pandemic a little bit or at the very least Bo's not trying to hide that as yeah and after that we go into bezos number one which is the first of two interludes that are just about jeffrey bezos and then after that little bit is him just sitting on the floor on like a pillow and a blanket he's talking about the internet and saying that maybe it wasn't a super great idea that we let all these multi-million dollar 
internet corporations just exploit our children and constantly have us plugged into them all the time, which continues that trend that he's gone down of, okay, is our relationship to the internet and all the things that it provides good for us or bad for us? Like, where does that line exist? Maybe the flattening of the entire human existence into a lifeless exchange of values that benefits nobody, except for a few bug-eyed salamanders in Silicon Valley. You know, maybe, maybe that wasn't a good call for us. I'm recalling the words of George Carlin, which you and I did talk about him a little bit as some of the other themes of the special goal. And I know Carlin is an influence of Bo Burnham. He should well be an influence on many. Oh, my word. But it's one of those things where it's like Carlin in in his humor would struggle to exist in the current environment. Yes. And but it's one of those things where the comedian might just be, as Carlin would say, the first person to put those words in that particular order. And it just works so well. And just different phrases and different social observations that once you do actually start thinking about it, it's like, yeah, that uh, is an issue or that is a system that I am willingly a part of. And that idea continues to get unpacked throughout. So he has this bit where he's waxing existentially and then just ends it with, I'm horny. And then it goes straight into the song about sexting, which... I remarked when we were watching it, I was like, if that isn't an example of life during the pandemic, I don't know what is. Because I can't tell you the number of times where I'd be just thinking to myself or maybe talking to someone and like talking about heavy subject matter or existential stuff. And then you're like, well, I'm alone by myself again. Yeah, I'm horny. They made the internet for nights like these, as the song says, or as they're talking in emojis, let's talk dirty like the ancient Egyptians. Uh, his, uh, his lyrics are so good. They're at the entire special. Sexting has maybe my favorite use of lighting throughout the entire thing where he has like a projection slide going and it's just emojis, eggplants or little devil faces uh, as like a wallpaper behind him. It's uh I love it. Or there's different moments where he's also showing the text conversation between him and his partner on the screen mm-hmm. and you have trying to translate the different emojis. She sends a peach and then he sends a carrot back. Pretty easy to translate what those mean. And then she sends a Ferris wheel and he has this whole bit about like, oh, that's abstract. I don't know what that means. I'm going to send a ticket stub back to you. Oh, no. What if you, you you take that the wrong way? Oh, she sent a snowman. All right. We're still good. And when <laughs> Because I... couples will have those things where it's like if you saw their emoji use out of context, you wouldn't know like what is something that is like a code for them. The track sexting also has one of those many moments where I wouldn't encourage doing this on the first viewing, but maybe the second time you go back through, he said, now having gone through it a couple of times, pause because there's something in the background that clearly Bo Burnham spent a lot of time on that is not going to be on the screen long enough for you to fully appreciate. Yeah, it so flashes for like an a experience because there's several whiteboard moments during comedy where things are written that are just funny and absurd and different diagrams that he has. And then there is a whole spiel or a whole message on the screen during sexting. Throughout it, he's like standing in front of the screen, like in a white t-shirt and his underwear on his phone as whatever background is behind him. And in this case, it is like this long message after he has asked his partner to send a picture of her. And you and I discussed it a little bit as we paused and read through it. And it's like this combination of inner monologue justifying like where i'm at or why i'm doing this also the messages that 
a guy might send when he's pressuring a girl. Like, I would like to do this, but if you don't want to, it's okay. But I would like to do this. Or just kind of the constant back and forth of that. So many of these songs have, like, that bigger subtext behind them where it's like, okay, this is just a funny song about sexting or whatever, but... If you read into it, it delves into the, oh, okay, is this all kosher on the level? Especially the bit at the end where it's like, oh, this is kind of depressing. He's like, well, you know, I'm just stuck in my house alone, so I'm just doing this to do something. And obviously these are moments and and conversations and, and ideas that, once you dwell on them a little bit, are going to make you a little bit uncomfortable. And there's a moment after sexting where he does like this really happy upbeat thank you for watching and supporting and there and he's holding a knife it's very indicative of like a very poppy youtube channel and it's like hey thanks for watching my content it's got this upbeat music behind it and oh i have all this great content keep watching because there's more to come and yeah he has this knife and he's pointing at the screen with it and like gesturing with it and then when the segment ends it just holds on him, staring at the camera, holding the knife for like a solid 10 seconds, which is one of those moments where it makes you feel uncomfortable, which I think keys into that sort of devolving mental health that's starting to appear and become more prevalent throughout the special. The next track that comes up, you said, was very much the thesis of the entire special, Look Who's Inside Again. Really, this song and then All Eyes on Me, like they're the two probably biggest emotional tracks in the special so this one basically lays out and illustrates how at the beginning of his career Bo Burnham was a YouTuber and just made these songs in his bedroom and posted them on the internet and you know entertained himself because he was just stuck in a room by himself basically and then you know fast forward 14 years later now again he's stuck here inside because of the pandemic and he's making these songs again and just trying to keep himself entertained so like he said earlier he keeps his mind off his mental health struggles it also ties into five years before this he stepped away from doing live comedy because he was having panic attacks and just the pressure of all of it wasn't something he really wanted to deal with at that time but then at the beginning of 2020 he felt good enough to come back and start performing again. And he was like, okay, I'm going to go out, do another show, tour. It'll be great. Like, I feel in a place where I can do this. And, oh, look, coronavirus happened. And now we're all stuck inside and I can't go anywhere. There's a line in the song where it's like, well, well, look who's inside again. Went out to find a reason to hide again. And so he went out into the world. He was going to come back. But then, oh, well, this pandemic happened. All right, I'm just going to hide away again, make this new special. And there's another line in it where he says, come out with your hands up, we've got you surrounded, which I think alludes to the fact he knew once he released this special, everybody was going to be paying attention to it because, oh, it's Bo Burnham's big return to comedy, and that spotlight is going to be on him. Once he comes out, there's no going back in. Everybody's going to know he's back. The end of Side A... Second to last track, you have the song Problematic. And this is one that during the special, as we were kind of pausing and discussing different ideas, is maybe the one where you and I have the longest pause point. I think so. Because internet habits are one thing, and the album to this point has done a good job of hitting on those. This is where a switch kind of flips, and now the focus is more on internet culture. And what happens when everyone's gathered in this space and behavior changes? There is a lot of layers to 
again, the self-awareness factor kind of comes back. And Bo Burnham has obviously throughout his time in comedy, in comedy you're going to be making off-color jokes or different things that might offend people. But the track kind of talks about how sometimes that looking back on your own past or trying to say, oh, I, I'm better now or this isn't who I am or I shouldn't have made this mistake or whatever is ultimately kind of just attention-seeking. Yeah, very much so it can be. Because in the song, the things he's talking about are not a big deal. He's talking about, oh, I dressed up as Aladdin as a kid. And like, you know, it probably wasn't that bad, but it feels weird looking back on it. Or towards the end of the song, he's like, I did all these things that were vaguely sh- And it was all lawful, but, you know, eh, I feel kind of awful about it. And growing up and going through parochial school, you're going to have images of Jesus surrounding you. And it's hard to miss that. Bo is literally, like, crucifying himself with the way he set up the light. He's crucifying himself for, like, public clout, basically. You and I have talked about in the past, and this is going back a little ways, kind of when we were first starting to get Storytelling Breakdown going, just different video essayists that have influenced us. And one of them is definitely Lindsay Ellis. And she did a video, I think, was it earlier this year or was it end of last year? It was earlier this year. Okay, I was trying to remember how recent it was. And she did a video only a few months back now called Mask Off, which does sound particularly relevant to the pandemic, but rather is talking about a particular situation that she encountered on Twitter and on social media and the ways in which internet behavior kind of works and the fact that it's very easy to go, oh, I'm better than this person or this person made this terrible mistake and I'm better than them by piling on. We're going to catalog everything you've ever said and pick out all the problematic or terrible things you've said and use them as ammunition against you. Saving the receipts. Yep. If that topic is of interest to you at all, we would highly encourage you to go check out that video and all of Lindsay's videos. She is a fantastic YouTuber. Absolutely. You have kind of pulled yourself away from any and all social media, and that's a smart decision on a lot of levels. Yeah, it was fun watching this because I, like you said, I have like no social media presence whatsoever. And you have a very like curated social media experience. We're not really like a part of this thing. Absolutely. And I just, I, I always go back to a conversation I, I had with my brother. Like when I first got, it wasn't even social media. It was a, a Gmail account. My brother's advice was just don't put anything online that you wouldn't be happy with seeing on the front page of a newspaper. And good advice that I overall tried to follow because, yeah, if it's out on the internet, it's there forever and it could come back in any way, shape, or form. And as we see with internet culture today, and we were kind of, we started to get into this conversation about cancel culture. And one area with it that I think is just a point of emphasis to make is the fact that it feels like a phrase that has very much gotten co-opted, kind of how fake news did. And when it first was being used, it meant something very specific. It was talking about disinformation that people traffic in online and things that look very legitimate but are actually completely fabricated, but they're going to wind up fooling a large amount of people. Then the term just gets attached to anything that a person in power doesn't particularly like. Cancel culture is kind of similar in that you have a backlash towards someone who has potentially done something reprehensible, like actually done physical, emotional, or psychological harm. And instead, it's more tearing people down who have said things that aren't particularly good, but it winds up perhaps getting overused. Are we overcorrecting, I guess, would be the question. It's an issue that I think Lindsay Ellis unpacked better than I'm going to or we're going to. 
problematic doesn't delve super deep into this issue. Like it, it pretty much just posits the question, but it's great that a silly song like this, where at one point he inserts a water bottle into his belly button can get us talking about something that is a much deeper, much more complex issue. It's just, it's cool that a, a silly comedy special can do that. And then we get another transition where, again, we kind of go from all loud to all quiet. And we see just Bo working, again, in the same space, interacting with some of his equipment. <laughs> There's a bit of a terrifying moment where he goes to, like, pull the lighting rig. Yeah, the first time I watched that, and then when I showed it to my brother-in-law, who's a photographer and videographer, we both just, like, gasped. And we're like, no, save the camera. You can't let it fall and break. Ugh. And then you get... The when of it all uh, for Bo Burnham. And, and if you didn't realize uh, how old he is, because again, I feel like the facial hair ages him 10 years. He was 29 when he started the project and he turned 30 during the quarantine. And that is a very interesting beat to end on for the first half of the special. This is really the first time in the special where you can see the cracks like appearing in him. His body language is very like subdued and he seems very defeated by this whole prospect of everything. Yeah, and after that monologue, he then goes into another synth-heavy song about, well, I'm turning 30. When it comes to the lighting, this song might be one of the best examples of just the crazy things he's able to do with a very simple rig. And the timing and just the different elements to it. Uh, and everything from using the handheld lights on Which the I device. honestly think yeah. is a cell phone. I'm yeah. pretty sure that's just his cell phone. Yeah, and just... By spinning that around himself with the right darkness in the room and then the light coming from the phone, he's able to kind of show the, it looks like the sun rising and setting in the mm -hmm. cycle. And revolving time passing around him. In a song that is about his getting older. And then he has this purple light that's shining up on him, which he switches between that phone, that sun circling around him, and then this purple light. And then when he goes into a later bit, he's got some foot pedals where he switches it and there's, oh... A purple light shining from the other side now so originally it was from the left now it's hitting from the right and then he switches it again and it's hitting him straight up from below and then when he breaks into a chorus bit where a lot of background singers come in he then hits all three and it casts three different shadows on the wall behind him that look like the background singers that just entered the song and there's like almost like a drum hit or like a crack that pops up a couple times in the song and as he does that, he kind of, he's got the light behind his back and he like turns it so it flashes briefly mm -hmm. in time with those moments and those hits. And just so well done with, again, just simple, <laughs> simple production in the same space, same dude. And you see the rig and the equipment throughout and he's just able to use it with so much versatility. And just the, the content of the song itself is really relatable. For those of you who don't know, Ben and I are not 30 yet. And any of these sort of thoughts you have to yourself were like, oh god, how can I be this old? Like, I don't understand kids anymore. Like, I used to think that the people who were older than me were stupid, and now the, these kids are telling me that I'm the one who's out of touch. Like, what happened? And the song ends, and then immediately goes into the first and most direct discussion of suicide that the special involves. Because the song ends, and he's like... I'm 30 now, I'll do another 10 years, and then I'll kill myself when I'm 40. And the song just ends. And you do see him, like, set up. He's like, okay, I'll do another take. But then it goes into a segment where he's just sitting in front of the camera and talking about, don't kill yourself. Like, I shouldn't, you shouldn't kill yourself. And it cuts to him 
clearly much later on in the process because his beard is a lot longer uh, and he's sitting there with a white t-shirt and that video of him talking about don't kill yourself projected onto him and the wall behind him so you can see the video playing on his white t-shirt and just his face you can see the bags under his eyes and just how beat down mentally he is as he's watching his younger self telling him not to kill himself this is also one of the last things that the special hits on before the intermission and i think it's an opportunity for maybe us to unpack a little bit just some of the mental health aspects of things we've been dealing with during the pandemic throughout uh my life growing up and i i didn't have a good sense of this probably until i hit my teens and i would then hear about it usually secondhand there's a history of depression on my dad's side of the family. Uh, my grandpa had it especially. That was not something I ever really encountered, like in terms of, oh, who, like what does it mentally feel like to be dealing with this? And then spring of 2020 happened. <laughs> and there were times where it's just like, yeah, uh, things that the way I kind of, <laughs> the way I often described it in social settings <laughs> or just other interactions was just, Oh, everybody's we're all isolated. We're all spread out. We're still trying to get things done. Everything takes longer. It feels like everything is taking longer. Really though, it was kind of a uh, things that were not taking up this much energy are taking an extraordinary amount of energy now. And I don't know why. Well, I do know why, but I don't know why it's having this effect. <laughs> and if I could fix it, I would, and I can't. And unpacking those feelings during probably late March through to May was a ch was was probably my biggest mental challenge of the pandemic. There's going to be a lot of people who can relate to that. You know, either they dealt with it before in the past, or it was a new thing that they experienced for the first time during this period of isolation. For me, I've dealt with mental health struggles and issues for my whole life you know, going back to starting in high school, including suicidal thoughts and desires and things like that, which made me really resonate with the special and the emotions and things that Bo wanted to convey in it. There were a lot of actions and just like body language things that I saw and recognized in him as I was watching it, like the leg kicking and shaking or you know, just the way he held himself and some of the things he said that I was like, oh yeah, I've had that thought before. And I'm sure there are tons of people out there who will feel the same way. There's one point in it where he, later on in the special, he talks about, I feel all right when I'm asleep, but when I'm awake, you know, I have these panic attacks and it's just awful. And I know I felt that way before. And I know I've talked to other people who feel have felt the exact same thing so this special will definitely land on that level with lots of people and this is all after the track 30 where he says where he said oh i want to have this done by the time i'm 30 and clearly missed that deadline and move on I was like well there goes that and we had that like this also just speaks to the creative process and trying to be creative during a time when these things are taking up more energy and everybody is struggling you have those moments where 
okay, we want to do this thing by this time where I, I keep going back to the fact that we wanted to have our first episode drop on the Joker's 80th birthday. It <laughs> didn't the happen. It was all, all about him because it's like, oh, it'll be April of 2020 and then March of 2020 happens and the podcast drops five months later and we clearly didn't know what a schedule was because we dropped like three episodes in a three-day period and then one each week after that take like a three-month hiatus and now season two is actually on a relatively regular schedule. <laughs> but we take the time and the energy to figure these things out and give the time and the grace and the space and understanding what needs really need to be met first. <laughs> and the fact that you mentally and emotionally need to be in the right place and in the right mindset. And that's where, again, like I can appreciate so much that Bo Burnham could have put out something that didn't show as much behind the scenes. That was very much, here's the music, here's the comedy, here's the observations, and you're not seeing the struggle. And the struggle is what makes it work. The struggle is ultimately like the entire point of the special. If it didn't show that, it would I, I don't even know what it would be. It would be something completely different. Literally the last 20 minutes of it is is almost entirely about that. And you might have moments where it's like okay maybe this special isn't for me and if you have uh, feelings you would like to express about that Bo doesn't want to know <laughs> we yes. lead off with again kind of an interesting more upbeat track there's so many so many of these songs get stuck in your head so easily and don't want to know is a great start to the second half he brings the audience back in right before the intermission is that heavy like acknowledgement of the mental health struggle and then Right after the intermission, he brings you back in with the slow moment of him cleaning the glass of the lens of the camera. And then he brings the audience back in with, oh, hey, are you guys paying attention to this? I don't actually want to know. Shut up. Uh, I'm just going to keep going. Are you watching on your phone? Am I on in the background? There's a wonderful illusion that might make you go, oh, and then pull you back in. And not long after that, he hits the track we mentioned is foreshadowed. And again, it's crazy how much space there is between some of these different elements where we get inside the game. <laughs> and he's doing just a perfect stereotypical impression of a streamer who's on the screen in the lower right-hand corner talking about subs and streaming all week and playing this game for the first time, doesn't really know what he's getting into. But the visual on screen is Bo in this little room interacting with the space and it is weird, haunting, and hilarious all at the same time. Yeah, basically it's him as a Twitch streamer playing through a day in his actual life where he's just stuck in this house and he like, oh, you can press A to cry. And he like tries the door, but he can't leave the room. So he sits down and plays the piano and oh, the character is happy when he plays the piano. But as soon as he's done working and no longer making music, he's sad again. And then also just the quality of the game. Like the fact that when he plays the piano, you see Bo looking about as strange as he could while playing the piano. Just kind of big grin on his face, moving his hands just up and down the keys. And there's piano music that plays that does not match what he's visually doing on the screen. And you hear a bit of a remix or kind of a callback to Look Who's Inside Again to go along with this. Again, the game is called Inside. He does that for a lot of his non-musical segments the background music that plays in it will be a remixed version of a song that's already been in the special and it gives the whole special a very 
musical vibe to it. In musicals, you'll have reprises of songs that showed up earlier just to sort of tie everything in thematically. I'm really hoping this leads into Welcome to the Internet. It doesn't quite. We can pedal to the metal these next few parts a little bit because you have a track that is simply called Which I love, and it's just... The song is about, hey, I feel like I do not feel good. I smell like I look like How does everybody feel? Oh, they feel like And it's arguably the funkiest track on the entire album and in the entire special. Oh, it's got a great beat. And it's also where he starts to unpack the mental health struggles a little bit. There's a little bit in there where he has this short little pop phrase that is basically, as as you described, the perfect description of a panic attack. Yeah, after the song about how he feels like he is sitting in front of the camera again actually talking about his mental health struggles and is like, I'm fine when I'm asleep, but then I wake up and I start to feel, and then, yes, he goes into this, It's not, I don't even know if it's 30 seconds, but this little interlude with vibrant colors in the background, and it's super upbeat, and it's just him talking about, oh, my vision starts to flatten, my heart gets to tap in, and I feel like I'm going to die, and it's just describing what a panic attack feels like. Uh, and it's great, because this whole special, he uses the music and the comedy of it and the comedic timing of it to talk about these heavy subjects that you know it's it's difficult to talk about these things and bring them up just in a normal conversation setting especially to you know millions of people so if you package it in this funky little song it's a lot easier for people to digest and that's the segment that leads into if you're going to compare this to a concept album or an opera or a musical you have a villain song and whether that is uh, Wait For It, if we're talking about Hamilton, for Inside, it is Welcome to the Internet. Which is just him sitting at the piano with a spotlight on him, and he's got these round sunglasses on, and just starlight spinning behind him. And it has this very, like, cabaret, upbeat piano feel to it. And the person singing the song is just the personification of the internet, which you could interpret the internet is sort of the villain of this whole piece. But you have so many of these great moments that are just like, yeah, this is the the light and the dark, or as Bo puts it, some better, some worse, of the content that you can find on the internet. And again, it's just so well written and the timing is amazing. The line I keep coming back to is an end of a verse where he completely ignores the rhyme scheme and the timing and talks about how the internet's the line is something like, we've got a bunch of colored pencil drawings of all the different Harry Potter characters each other. Welcome to the internet. And the, the way he cadences it is almost like he's surprised that that line is in there. Like he's kind of laughing. It's like, yeah, this is over here. This is ridiculous. And it still lands on the beat and into the next section and just flows perfectly. For as much as that vibe is, again, different from everything that came before it, and the song already sticks out, you still have these moments where as it gets more frenetic in pace, as it continues to build, there's then a middle section that is completely different that talks about going back in time. The internet used to be a different place before 9-11, circa 99, as he puts it, and describes kind of what the internet was, welcoming you in, and then it shifts back again. It shifts back to not quite the same pace and frenetic energy that the beginning had when he was talking about all the various things you can find on the internet. Now it's almost this enticing lullaby as he talks about 
oh, we were small and we only had, you know, chat rooms and travel blogs and internet, but that's because we were waiting for you. And he starts talking about really the current generation that grew up never knowing a world without the internet. There's a great line in there where he talks about, oh, mommy lets you use her iPad and you were only two. And it did everything that we designed it to do. And it's very cutesy, but then you start to think about the disturbing implications of that. And that segment sort of rises and crescendos, and then he brings back in that original segment and ties it together in this just explosion of music and energy. That does still build up at least a little bit because you have a a villain laugh that is joker yes he 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 breaks those up with the person singing the song the internet just laughing almost demonically beside themselves with pleasure at how successful how the internet has got its clutches into everyone can i interest you in everything all the time just such (laughs) a perfect summation of the experience of the internet and given this is Another section that is particularly internet-focused, we get another Bezos interlude, though right before that, he talks about kind of the experience of the project itself, and this was maybe the lines that I felt the most, because it talks about working on the special, and just the fact that maybe I'm just going to keep working on it, because this thing is never going to be finished, I'm just going to keep working on it forever, and no one is ever going to see it, or this thing is garbage, I'm never going to be satisfied with it, it's just nothing is shaping up right, and you have those times where... (laughs) It's very easy sometimes to get trapped in the process or to cope through working. And this is something that I know I do and something I need to get better about. And that is just simply, hey, this isn't good or this is something that's not particularly working well. And I'm just going to focus on editing for the next few hours. And processing is a thing. And taking a step back and giving yourself some breathing room from your projects is necessary. But that's also something that's very hard to do if you're locked in your space for a year with what you're working on. And there is no separation. You cannot get away from that thing. There's definitely going to be emotions that you feel and uh, ones that I most certainly did in watching the, that part of the project. Yeah, and then he slips right into the, the second Jeffrey Bezos interlude, which is just about as high energy as the last one. But he's in this gilly suit and has this strange almost cultish imagery flashing behind him of like stars and different patterns and it's you can feel that like manic energy of oh well i'm never gonna stop working on this special come try and stop me i'm just gonna keep working keep making more of it and you start getting sunlight and nature imagery and nature sounds birds chirping a breeze outside But that doesn't mean that those sensations really bring any kind of comfort uh, as he continues on. Well, they're almost off-putting because then he goes into another stand-up segment, which is even more out of touch with reality than the first one, because he opens it talking to a fake crowd being like, oh, thanks for coming out and helping support live comedy in these strange, strange times. And then goes on to talk about how the digital space that we live in is more real than the outside world. Basically, the outside world is only useful for staging content in for the digital space. And you sh- that's the only way in which you should interact with it. He's so fully locked inside now. And I think in the bit leading up to it, he's like gone full Captain Willard in Apocalypse now. Like at that point, he's you're definitely starting to see more growth in the facial hair. He has like a Rasputin beard. <laughs> Yeah, visibly looking more haggard. This is also where he makes the joke about the pirate maps that comes out of nowhere and doesn't make 
any sense with the other context that came before it, but also kind of fits with the moment as things are kind of starting to come off the rails a little bit. And we are approaching the climax, so I think we still have one more song to go. My favorite song in the special, which is That Funny Feeling, which is just him with a guitar singing this song, and he has fake trees projected on the background and then a light in front of him that's the crackling light of a campfire. And it's just this soft strumming guitar song that just basically lists things essentially and then goes into a chorus of oh here it comes again that funny feeling and the song is nonsense on its own it makes no sense because he's just listing random things like oh steve aoki logan paul but when you look at it through the context of being plugged into internet culture oh suddenly all of this does make sense like okay i understand what all of these things mean and it's obviously very heavily inspired by We Didn't Start the Fire by Billy Joel. Structured in the same way, where the chorus is the same, and the verses are just repeating current things in pop culture. And the song is going to make no sense if you're coming in without any context. Like, if We Didn't Start the Fire is played for a young generation that didn't grow up, surrounded by the events that the song talks about. Likewise, maybe someone at the opposite end of the age spectrum who has rarely or hardly, if ever, used the internet wouldn't necessarily understand the significance of the lyrics. That leads into the segments where you really see him at his lowest moments of mental health. He's trying to talk about the state of the special and just can't get the words out. He's hitting himself, he's just visibly upset and just can't even talk about it, gets up, throws the equipment around his space, and just storms off. And then... He tries to talk about it again and just ends up breaking down into tears as it leads into your favorite song of the special. All eyes on me. Oh, my word. Yeah. Well, and the fact that it's also preceded where I think the only four words he says and like one bit that leads up to it because there's this long extended shot. And again, when this thing slows down, you feel it. Yes. And he just says, I am not well. And then it breaks just down. slowly zooms into the lens of the camera. As you start to get the low end kind of synth bass vibe that starts the track the vibe comes back in terms of you can do fast pace synth in a key that's going to sound brighter and happier and poppy and you very much get that at the first few songs of the special when you get to this one and it's darker and it's slower and it's just heavy but it is so well done and he's using a pitch shifter on his voice that makes it sound like something by glass animals or 21 pilots but if you just showed someone this song out of context they would not know it's bo burnham his no, hair is all. almost down to his shoulders if not past them full mustache and beard and you have this eerie blue lighting as he's singing to an audience that is just piped in recorded crowd noise yeah just cheering going wild and he talks about the experience of dealing with having panic attacks on stage and getting out of comedy and then being ready to come back in after he got his mental health right and then a funny thing happened. And you showed me the end of his last special. Make Happy. Mm -hmm, where he definitely <laughs> hinted at the fact that the biggest struggle he has is the audience mm -hmm. to please people and to fear and to need and just all the different things that the audience experience. And the fact that he even uses like the lighting and the camera to put a projection of himself over himself so it looks like a jumbotron at a big arena show 
and then as the song continues to grow and build he's intercutting different angles until there's like four or five layered on top of each other it just looks cool and just that <laughs> of the songs that i have listened to on repeat that's the one that i have hit on the most though i suspect i will be listening to others as we continue on and the song just keeps building and building one of my favorite lines in the song is he's saying oh you're worried that the world's ending well honey it already did basically that the world is is for lack of a better word he pulls the camera off of the tripod towards the end of it and it's just whirling it around handheld it's disorienting but still just so many different cool angles and shots yeah just it, this this raw emotion of it all and the crowd noise it just it gives you chills in the the final moments of that track it really does feel like that kanye rant from the last special it feels like this is that moment reaching its final form mm-hmm. you can definitely see the parallels between the two moments uh, and the song just cuts. It ends off abruptly. It, it looks like he trips and hits the camera on something and it just goes black. Then we're in a day in the life. You're just watching him in his space. He's getting up, brushing his teeth, eating a bowl of cereal, watching video footage <laughs> of all eyes on me and just makes the observation, I think I'm done. And you have a few ending vignettes that we can hit on. Then you go into the final song, which is Goodbye, which wraps everything up it calls back to a lot of the other songs previously it ties back to look who's inside again it ties back to welcome to the internet with you know the same phrases and refrains of those being put into this song with very like dark implications on all of those in comedy it's in the original line he's like oh if you're trapped in a house that's full of smoke i'll tell you a joke but at this point he's been through so much he's like Maybe I'll sit on the couch and watch you guys next time. So when I'm dying, I'll call you up and you're going to tell me a joke. And then the callback to Welcome to the Internet, he sort of tying in with all eyes on me. He's like, you know, all I wanted was a little bit of everything all of the time. Is that really so bad? And then the song ends with a great visual where it hard cuts the blue spotlight that's been throughout the special all the times at the beginning when he goes to bed at night shines on him and he's totally naked just completely bare in front of everyone and the space is cluttered with all the equipment and things he's used over the course of the special and just that haunting well well look who's inside again yeah it gets to me bo burnham inside captures so many of the emotions and the experiences that have come with the pandemic it illuminates a lot of things that, as a society, we're probably going to have to really get serious about tackling, <laughs> or they're going to be problems that are going to dog us until <laughs> the situation or scenario changes in some way, shape, or form. It feels like it wasn't just the pandemic. Like This feels like all of this was also a part of the process of Bo Burnham getting his head right over the five years that preceded the pandemic, and it put him in a position where he really could go through and speak to and unpack everything. And you can appreciate good writers and musicians and comedians that can package this in such a way with just such amazing use of the resources in one room. I mean, as much as this special is sort of a snapshot and like cut out of what life was during the pandemic that I'm sure people will go back to, you know, 10 years from now and still be talking about and dissecting it. It also really is just the process of working on a project that you put all of yourself and all of your being into and 
how great that can feel at times, but also how like draining and how much of a toll it can take on you. And that definitely comes into play at the very end after Goodbye has finished because there's this weird, almost surreal skit of him finally leaving the house and he exits the door and he's on a stage and there's a spotlight on him and the whole thing looks like a set now and the crowd cheers and he starts freaking out and trying to get back into the house but the door won't open again and no matter what he can't get back in there just like how once you finish a project and you put it out into the world it's out there there's no taking it back into that space where you had total control over it anymore this special captures a lot of what we've been feeling and what we think (laughs) so many of us that have lived through the experience of the pandemic uh, have gone through. So again, if you listen to this and some, and didn't watch the special, even though we just described so much of it for you, go through and experience it for yourself. Or if you've already listened to it, listen to this and then go back and watch it again. It holds up on repeated viewings. Yeah. And even though, Obviously, we came into this very fresh, very new, having only thought of doing this episode less than a week ago. We appreciate you giving us a listen and supporting the podcast, even though we know it didn't have the smoothest transition.
Hey everybody, this is Steven Stahosky, writer, producer, and editor for the Storytelling Breakdown team. The track you just heard before John's wonderful bat signal sound effect was Red as the Rose from The Lovely Lies by Lucas Norton featuring the Ragtag Bunch. Lucas Norton is a good friend of the Storytelling Breakdown team and a talented musician in his own right. A couple of months ago, he reached out to me to help record a track for his new album, The Lovely Lies. The Ragtag Bunch is a group of friends and singers from around Fort Wayne that I put together about this time last year. We do traditional Irish folk, sea shanties, downtown at J.K. O'Donnell's. We love it. Lucas heard us singing and asked if we would include The Red is the Rose on his new album. Now that you know what you've heard, here's what you are about to hear. A friend of the podcast, as well as a friend we've played Fate Core with, is going to join Caleb and Ben in the studio. This spotlight features our friend Jacob Ganser talking about, let me make sure I have this right, the American anime-influenced adult computer animated web series, Ruby. When I first came across the Red trailer, which is what they released back in 2013 to kind of announce the title character, Ruby, I honestly thought that it was going to be another GameCube game that I wouldn't have access to at the time because of the animation level. And at the time, I wasn't familiar with independent projects. So this was just something that was completely new. And (laughs) I remember thinking to myself, like, okay, this is pretty cool. And it was the music that drew me in at first because, you know, you're haunted by Casey Lee Williams' vocals as they come in and, you know, open up on the scene. And then everything takes a hard left when you see her pull out a large shotgun-looking, you know, weapon and shoot the face off of a wolf. (laughs) And I was just like, whoa, okay, so this is a little more hardcore than I expected. And uh, it's as you described, the fight choreography was magnificent. Monty Um will forever go down in history as somebody who could plan out a scene to its full capacity, especially when it comes to, I mean, let's face it, anime fights. You know, like the, the scale that you have to work with is a lot more grand. There were limitations, but there were also a lot of fun using the um, limited graphics, you know, to their advantage. And I think that's something I enjoyed about it. It it wasn't trying to be Pixar or anything like that. It just said, well, if it's going to be an anime fight, we may as well make it look awesome. So that's the trailers, which there were four of those, Mm -hmm. one for each of the main characters that were released. But how did you feel when you got to watching the actual show itself? The actual show itself, again, it was was kind of a surprise that it was a show at all, you know, uh, with content being limited the way that it was. It was just kind of like, oh, this is something that's free. This is something that's accessible. And making all of the references. I mean, Roman Torchwick in the first episode is right out of Clockwork Orange. You know, it's the first thing that you notice. It's the first thing that, ironically, at the time I didn't notice because I hadn't seen the film. But you walk up and you see him and it's like, okay, so that's that's kind of original okay you know they're having some fun with this (laughs) and then uh, it gets more and more involved with the uh, the story elements and the lore and I kind of just enjoyed the minimal saturation that you get you know it's got a fairly concise premise there are monsters we got to slay them okay there are schools to train you to be a huntress or a hunter okay cool and then it just kind of gets more and more complex as the story evolves you know discovering the different factions and characters that are involved with uh, each and every one of their inner circles, I suppose. (laughs) I think it's also cool, especially for the time period that it came out in, that all of the four main characters are young women. That wasn't necessarily a really popular thing at the time. 
Absolutely. I, I think that was one of the things that they kind of centered on, especially because it wasn't focusing on any, I don't know, I, I suppose I enjoyed the fact that it wasn't catering to the whole like girl power idea. It was just they were fantastic fighters. I still remember the moment that I saw Yang when she is fighting in the yellow trailer and she ends up clotheslining one of the other fighters with just like a bunch of twirls. Like, I still felt that kick, <laughs> you know, and it, it wasn't about her proving to other people that, you know, she was strong. It was like she was fighting two other women and there was no commentary on it. They just did it. I mean, the first time that you see Yang throw a punch, the focus that is placed on skill level rather than gender and the fact that you can have I mean, you could still pull from a lot of tropes. But there are ways to put a twist on them and use them effectively that Ruby does so very well. And you guys have seen more of it than I have. And I have immensely enjoyed what I have seen. Oh, yeah. If I remember correctly, you're you're right around volume three, like just the intro of it. And I am so excited because one of my favorite characters gets introduced around then. So, like, it's just... <laughs> what volume does the food fight scene happen in? I recall that was early volume two. You are correct. I have actually seen it. So that, that narrowed the field. Oh, man. And... Talk about bringing it back for the second season because, you know, that was when I, they had been doing this weird clamp-like style. If you're not familiar, clamp is an animation and uh, manga studio that does like a very, very stylized, like long figures. And when they do anime, all of the background characters, like all of the people that they're just passing by, the, the main characters anyway, they're just white silhouettes. So at first I was kind of like, oh, so are they making a callback to Clamp? Because that's like a pretty ingrained reference there. And, you know, they undid that because a lot of people commented on it being like a lazy technique with 3D animation. But it was just kind of cool to see them up the stakes a little bit because you could see just little details being added. They started getting a little less blocky. Uh, the movements, I mean, especially for the food fight itself, there was a lot more synchronicity going on. But uh, what, what did you think when you first saw that? Well, especially because with each season, you're not just watching a growth of story and a growth of character, but you're also watching that growth of process and seeing to what extent, oh, this just got a whole lot more interesting and different things that they're able to do, whether that's by expanded budget, more time, new technology. And it pulls you right in. Cause yeah, even though it's been a while since you and I have sat down and watched Groovy, I remember the food fight like it was yesterday. Absolutely. That was also the, the moment that we kind of realized how, how terrifying Ruby could be up until that point. You don't really see her do much except for like flit around, um, you know, obstacles or something like that. She supposedly has like a, a speed power that, is hinted to early on but in one of the later volumes somebody calls it out and says like that's not a speed one like i've seen a bunch of speed semblances and like this isn't one of them kind of hinting towards something bigger but you see the final smash that she does by just sweeping everybody in a vortex and using the vacuum to splatter them all with the food in the entire cafeteria i think the other important thing to talk about with ruby is monty elm the creator of it did pass right after three was like getting it was in the final phases of the like detailing and rendering and that sort of thing that he ended up passing away so like it, it was his his swan song um and it turns out that uh i believe his little brother was the one who took over for the voice of ren afterwards so that like they could get some of the same effect some of the you know uh, similar emotion oh man anytime i see ren talking about loss throughout the series i just feel it deep down because you know i'm, I'm picturing 
<laughs> younger brother Ulm not really having to act very much. You can kind of feel that in volume four. And oh my goodness, I, I didn't know it would still be a thing. Ironically, volume four premiered and was announced on my birthday that year. And it was during this large hiatus because Monty Ulm was gone. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they didn't know that there was going to be anything left because they knew that it big shoes to fill. And so uh, I remember like the joy coming back because that was when the animation changed drastically. You know, number three brought it, but number four, like I would say, kind of set in the style for the rest of what we've seen. Did they switch to a different program between the seasons? I believe so. I, I'm not as familiar, so I forget which one it was uh, off the top of my head. But yeah, they, they definitely decided to switch up like how things were looking, how things were moving. I think they used a lot more motion capture with it, too, kind of like they did with um, Red versus Blue, which makes a lot of sense. But uh, when you've got access to that in-house, you may as well keep using it, <laughs> book the whole studio time. Yeah, we could talk about it's made by Rooster Teeth, which, mm-hmm. for those of you who don't know, is a internet company. It was founded off of, you know, videos they just made online. It was cool for me when I saw Ruby on Netflix and I was like, oh, this is like a completely independent studio thing that made this, and now it's, like, actually popular, which is really cool. It's extremely inspiring. I mean, seeing it, especially from the beginning, uh, you know, going back to the music, going back to the animation, it, it was really cool just to see what could be done with, you know, minimal staff. Like, this, again, it, it's not Pixar, it's not Disney. You, you know, it was these people just kind of getting together and... Even in the early musical stuff, I I recognized MIDI instruments that I've used in my own projects that I was kind of like, okay, so like, this is awesome and it can be done. It can be done. It doesn't have to be shooting for California or New York. It could be done in your own studio if you've got like a nice collaborative. And so going from there, like I agree when, when we saw it on Netflix, I've seen it on, I think it's on Amazon Prime now too, like everything up to volume seven awesome the fact that they came this far it's truly inspiring well jacob thank you for joining us and also thank you for being part of another project uh, that we announced this year will be coming from the storytelling breakdown team our tabletop gaming podcast rpg decades uh, you will be one of five players joining us for a smash up round robin tournament very much looking forward to that coming later this year super excited our theme music is by kurt remke our logo is by daniel church steven stahovsky joins us as a writer producer and editor our podcast is hosted by John Dawkins and Wayne Shop Productions. Our social media coordinator is Ella Abbott. Thank you for joining us. Everyone has a story. These are some of our favorites. And this has been Storytelling Breakdown. Shout Productions.
Wayne Schultz.